Let's sit down and have a chat with another real retiree, Bill Stevenson, and this the 86th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Hi, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening and today watching. We have a special guest today. I won't give his last name yet. I'll save that for him. But we have joining us, Bill. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, looking forward to hearing your story, hearing your input, and uh, your experiences. So, Thank you for agreeing to do this. Before we get started, I have a question for you, Bill. Fire away. If the internet had a boat, where would they park it? Don't know. Google Docs, of course. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. So now, all right, moving on. So thank you for that. So today is another episode of Let's Talk to a quote-unquote real person, real retiree, just to hear their Stories, their experiences, their background, their words of wisdom to everyone listening about their particular journeys and planning and living their own retirements. So, uh, for the record, what is your name, please, Bill? Full name. I am Bill Stevenson. Um, I uh, found about this podcast uh, from uh, your Facebook group. I was a relatively early joiner on that group, uh, although I think Facebook itself prodded it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I've been a been active since then. Yeah, yeah, and, and thank you. I, I do. I don't know the exact date, but you are one of the earlier joiners, and you've been uh, a very active contributor. You you have very well thought out and thorough responses. I, I know. I appreciate. I'm sure the group appreciates as well. So thank you for that. Uh, state. What state do you live in? Um, my wife and I live in Hawaii currently, and that's a an important caveat because we uh, likely have an impending move coming up. Okay. Are willing and able to share? If not, tell me it's not in my business. Sure. So, um, uh, my I retired in 2019, uh, but my wife has not yet joined me in retirement. Uh, so we have uh, we have gone through a number of retirement plans. Okay. Um, and uh, at the start of uh, last year, we had a plan that would have had my wife retiring at the end of. 2024, joining me in retirement, and then us moving to uh, uh, the uh, Nashville area. The one caveat that we both had is that uh, uh, when I retired, basic um, sort of more background, I did 30 years in the Navy. My wife did 20 years in the Navy. Uh, So she retired in 2010. I retired in 2019. My wife, for her experience, took a very long break after uh, retirement for the Navy, which for her is a three-day weekend. And um, uh, then she started up a second career as a Navy civil servant. Uh, And uh, when I retired in 2019, basically I said, she had largely followed me during the Navy career. And I said, do whatever you want and I'll support it. Um, And so I've been laundry and other things of that nature, uh, but also uh, quite a bit of time taking care of her father in a cancer fight. Um, which was successful and all, but uh, uh, while doing that, uh, while I was doing that, she kept getting promoted. And uh, so uh, her last uh, final thing that we discussed was, well, unless you get offered a senior executive position, you know, we're going to, she's going to retire at the end of 2024. And she has now gotten the tentative job offer for a senior executive position, which would involve a move to Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, so I'm happily retired, but uh, she has not yet uh, joined me in that regard. Um, so it looks like sometime in this spring, we will probably move to Washington, D.C. for two or three years. Got it. Well, first, thank you both for your service. It's very much appreciated. And so you said two to three years. Is there a particular timeline or, or impetus for why two to three years when your wife stops working? Or is that just sort of what you're both kind of guessing? Hmm. So... Uh, in theory, she's signing a commitment to do three years. Um, and uh, at the same point in time, she was going to be eligible to retire in essentially December, January, December, January, maybe a year from now. Um, and that was our original plan. And financially, we were able to support her retiring. Uh, but 
she has some uh, personal goals that she and professional goals that she wants to accomplish. Um, and uh, so I'll support her for that. And uh, uh, and then, but at the same time, her mom experienced a, a medical issue when she was around 61, 62 that uh, resulted in her going on dialysis. And that significantly impeded her mom from ever doing any travel after that. And uh, so as a result, I have, uh, I'm very, very supportive, but at the same time, I also want to point out to her that uh, there's a, there's a go-go period and uh, we need to make sure we take advantage of that travel. And so there's a, a balancing act, uh, uh, as you would imagine in any marriage. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, those are the two things I'm trying to balance with my wife. Okay. And what are your ages? If you don't mind sharing, at least you, I don't know about so, your wife, but. I am uh, 57 and my wife is about uh, 18 months younger than I am. Okay. So 56, 57. Yep. Got it. All right. Um, thank you for that. I'm just curious. What, what did you do in the Navy? Are you able to say, or if you tell me, I was in the submarine force and my, uh, wife was in the civil engineer corps. Oh, cool. Okay. So you were, you were in submarines, like on submarines. Yes. Wow. For, um, uh, the first 20 years I was assigned to various submarines. I did a command tour in charge of a support shore support group for submarines. And then my last decade, I was, uh, working in, uh, submarine squadrons doing rides on boats pointing out uh you know looking at how their operations are trying to improve efficiency trying to help them uh uh trying to hey this is great and then i could take it to other submarines and share that i also spent uh, about last seven years was at the pearl harbor naval shipyard uh, where i was in charge of getting boats uh in and out of the shipyard and back to sea and i would ride all their sea trials and things like that um they Submarines, by the time a submarine does a sea trial, goes to the next one, the entire crews change over twice. And so I'm, my job was to be that continuity for sea trials um, from one to the other and uh, share experiences, lessons learned, and, uh, uh, and hopefully sage advice. Right. Well, again, thank you. That, that, that sounds cool. And uh, you did us all a great service. So I appreciate it. Um, some general questions. What are your financial goals and priorities for your time? You already sort of touched on travel and doing what you can while you can, but anything big or in particular? Uh, um, from a financial, really more travel and uh, I'll say gifting. That could be charitable. That could be support to whatever the, the things. Uh, and that also bleeds over into some non-financial. I've uh, uh, been a vice president of a group here in Hawaii, um, which I resigned when I realized we were about to move. Uh, but I've also been volunteering at uh, a local high school to judge for their speech and debate team. Uh, my uh, younger daughter had been very active in speech and debate for a number of years. Uh, and so I kind of uh, uh, continue to support that particular endeavor, even though she's uh, now graduated. Okay. Very cool. And um, how old are your, your children? So my uh, daughters are uh, 29 and 22. Okay. Uh, the 29-year-old uh, is in her last year of medical residency. She will uh, uh, an OBGYN. However, uh, she is not yet ready to join the full-time workforce. And so in July, she will start a three-year fellowship in maternal fetal medicine up in uh, roughly your neck of the woods, specifically Connecticut. Okay. So... Uh, and my uh, younger daughter is uh, also, while she finished uh, undergraduate, also was not quite ready to uh, start uh, the workforce. Uh, so she is at the University of Chicago School of Law and just finished her first quarter there. Oh, great. And, and I ask this for purposes of, uh, you know, to the extent that kids are still in your plans or otherwise sort of impact your retirement, your retirement planning, you know. Um, and and like they they're, do, they're on their way for the most part, right? They're, they're mostly... Uh, mostly independent. My uh, younger daughter has her budget. She tracks her uh, stuff on us. And uh, uh, however, we do have some still have still connections. Um, specifically, my she's having to look for an internship. And she applied to a number of places in Washington, D.C., anticipating that she would have a home uh, with us there uh, for her to uh, to crash in uh, as part of the internship. So there's still connections. And my older daughter is looking forward to us uh, meeting up and doing some East Coast things 
when her in Connecticut and us in DC. Okay. And just stepping back, you said you, you, the plan was maybe go to Nash, move to Nashville. Obviously, now change with DC. I guess that's where the job's going to be. But where did Nashville come into play? So um, my mother-in-law passed away in 2014. Um, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law and father-in-law both lived in Hawaii. Um, and that was part of the reason we were here, dual military, having family nearby has many advantages uh, to allow us to, to do our uh, mission. But the um, uh, my, about a couple of years after my mother-in-law passed away, my uh, father-in-law remarried to an older woman. And I said, because she's two years older than I am. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, they have recently transitioned to living in the Philippines. Uh, my wife is was born in the Philippines, uh, moved to Hawaii when she was four. Um, and my, But my parents are both about 81, and uh, they live in western Kentucky in a uh, rural area called Hopkinsville. My uh, wife has told me I'm welcome to retire to Hopkinsville as long as I give her time to arrange for the divorce. Um, and uh, uh, but because she loves urban and sunny uh, and Nashville is only about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from my parents. Uh, so uh, close enough to support them uh, and uh, yet uh, meet the requirements of my wife of being urban and uh, and having lots of uh, activities and things to do. Right. So uh, that's uh, it's it seems like a good place. We've done several scouting trips there, um, uh, checking out condos and things of that nature. And uh, in the fall, my wife accompanied me uh, to Nashville while I was in a bridge tournament, and she did an entire week of her own scouting uh, beyond, uh, and uh, agreed that uh, she would be uh, happy there and will go forth. Okay. We do have a um, sec, you know, a uh, flowchart plan that would put us, uh, you know, at, at maybe after five, ten years in Nashville, we would. Uh, Reevaluate uh, whether that was good. Um, if we're happy, great. And if we're not, then I might sell that condo and buy one near each daughter who by that time may have actually settled to someplace they're actually going to be right. and then uh, visit whichever one has better weather. Okay. That's so. great analysis. So. Uh, all right. So general retirement planning questions. I know you know yourself really well. That's clearly evidence from from your contributions in the, in the Facebook group. But when did you start getting serious about retirement planning for yourself? Um, so, and this will, and I'll kind of clarify it. My last semester in college, I was, while I was in college, I had a Navy ROTC scholarship, and they required you to take uh, 15 credit hours a semester to keep the scholarship. Well, my last semester, I only needed 12 credit hours to graduate. Uh, so I scratched my head and signed up for a three credit financial planning class or personal finance class. And um, that uh, opened up my eyes on a number of uh, things on probably more of the accumulation as opposed to retirement planning to differentiate that. And so, but as soon as I started the Navy, I opened our IRAs for both my wife and I was funding those. Uh, she was a year behind me. So I had a year of Navy training before we got back together again. Uh, but uh, so that, so the accumulation stage started very early. Um, the retirement planning we went through a few iterations. We had a discussion about both retiring at around the 20 year point, uh, uh, made a decision not to do that. Um, then my wife had not liked her, another had had a not really happy with her job. Uh, and so when I, she knew I was going to retire in 2019, her original plan was to retire, uh, roughly at the end of 2019, uh, about six months after I did. And then, uh, then she informed me that uh, she no longer disliked her job. She hated her job and was going to retire at the same time I did. And then uh, about a week after that conversation, she got offered a new job, uh, did a lateral, uh, loved it. Uh, then a year later, she got a promotion. And um, uh, so then uh, all of that has uh, reinvigorated her and she's happy. Uh, and in, in fact, I had discussions now. It was She literally said, oh, I would do this even if they didn't pay me. So I'm- Don't tell them that. You know, yeah, I, I I did mention that, but uh, nevertheless, it's uh, uh, it's accomplishing a number of uh, very deep-seated personal and professional goals for my wife. Um, it also is related to the fact that we have different upbringing. I was my dad's a retired Air Force Colonel, and I um, uh, was raised, you know, in a middle-class family. Um, 
My father-in-law immigrated to the U.S. based on getting a job in the U.S. Navy as enlisted, working as a, uh, a junior enlisted person, uh, uh, brought my his parents or his kids over and, my, uh, and such eventually. And it was, uh, I, I certainly don't think they had no problems having food on the table, but they, they never had, they never went out to eat, right? They, uh, I think my wife said that uh, during her entire childhood, they did one trip. And that was to go stay with some relatives in California and they visited Disney once. And that was, you know, her, her life's vision on travel was, was that. Um, and so she starts every financial planning conversation with, will we starve? Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of her. Uh, so we have a different mindset from that perspective. Um, and so I have to uh, understand that question's coming for every conversation and, uh, and, and, and help her evaluate that and make her uh, understand. It's interesting that you said that, and it's so true. There's different words for it. I've heard the term money script, but basically just your personal experiences and beliefs and values, that a lot of which are so um, instilled at an early age from what happened or didn't happen in, in your life and what your experiences were. And it sounds like in your wife's case, it, it was that, right? The, the question's always going to be, do we have enough to eat? Basically, I'm paraphrasing you, but right. Um, yep. even if objectively the answer is yes. And she knows that she may never get over that, that thought that the initial knee jerk reaction of, are we going to starve? You know? So that's interesting. Absolutely. And, and as a result, um, when I kind of reached the point where, Hey, I think we've saved enough to retire. Um, that, that was having enough was not going to work. And so we've now crossed into the, probably the oversaved uh, phase because that's what I need to make my wife comfortable with the concept of retirement. And has she gotten more comfortable as you've continued to oversave? Is, is there- she has. Um, and, and she's, uh, she, she's definitely has, it's just, uh, but it's a reality that I have to have to recognize and, uh, and integrate into my planning. Right. So what is bringing it back to retirement planning knowledge? What, um, sources, content, et cetera, do you use, did you use in, in learning about the retirement, the decumulation aspect of things. So I started off with uh, Jane Bryant Quinn. Uh, she's written a couple of. Uh, she's a not a financial planner, but more of a reporter, but a financial reporter. I started off with her, and then um, I went off into some uh, uh, Wade Fowle books, um, some of his early works, uh, which are very deep. Um, I would say right. um, I, I'm much. I, I enjoyed reading them. I got a lot out of them, but uh, but they're deep. The uh, his book retirement planning guidebook is uh, really the one I would point to as a go to uh, because it brings it back to uh, it's got some depth but it's got a lot more speaking to the average person than I would say his earlier books do. Right. Uh, also, and a key difference is I really think a his retirement planning guidebook had a huge change or revelation. In, in his mind, because he went from trying to advocate a particular way as better into pointing out that there are a number of different completely workable retirement income plans that can all work. And you just need to figure out which of those plans works best for you right. and not try and say, well, this is the optimum one and everyone should use that. Um, and so I found that aspect of his uh, uh, newest book to be, uh, I really like that aspect because it identified that what works for you is great. It might not work for me, right. but they can both be just fine. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that was one of my fans. And then of course, uh, Facebook book. And uh, so in addition to your various contributions, um, uh, the retirement and IRA show yes. uh, every, every morning, especially since wife works, I uh, go off and do a walk. And uh, so I'll listen to various uh, podcasts and I am uh, uh, and if you're familiar with their podcast, I am the classic uh, Vanguard engineer. <laughs> right. Th that's a good one. That, that's my, I'd probably say my favorite podcast. It, it was a huge inspiration to me. I personally learned a lot out of it. And I would highly recommend that to anyone who wants to really learn about retirement planning uh, knowledge. Now, I know how I'd answer this question on your behalf, but how do you rate your knowledge uh, of financial planning, tax planning issues, et cetera? Um, well, I think it's very good, but I also think it's important to keep learning. Um, and so, uh, 
I, uh, for example, I like one of my favorite things to put in is if I make a comment and someone adds something to it, which is I think useful, I will commend them for a great ad. That's because I those kinds of things and I want to highlight that, uh, that I'm comfortable with the additions because that, that's how I learn as well. So now regarding financial aspects of retirement planning, what do you wish you would have known or done differently when you were younger? Um, I'm actually pretty happy with uh, my accumulation stage. I wasted a little bit of time on some active funds in conjunction with index funds. And then when I uh, bought our, when we bought our first house, I emptied out in all the active funds and called that the down payment for the house and just uh, permanently stayed with index funds since then. Uh, so in one sense, it was um, probably inefficient, but it was still, uh, I learned something and uh, I found a, a convenient time to undo the uh, mistake. Right. And they probably more or less did you well enough, right? And in hindsight, could have done better with, with index um, Yeah, I would think that. Um, I, I had, uh, as a young, just out of college, I decided, oh, I'll pick the best performing fund from, and that turned out to be a bad plan. <laughs> so uh, 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 20th century ultra or something like that anyway. So uh, it had had its days and it was not when I was a member of that uh, of that club. Yep. So, uh, Got it. But lesson learned, I'm happy now. It was an uh, inexpensive lesson learned in retrospect. So. Sure. Could have been worse. And just for everyone listening, any references to actual funds, fund companies, securities, nothing in this podcast is to be taken or misconstrued as any specific investment advice or recommendations. It is not. It's just, uh, you know, Bill's thoughts, Bill's views, Bill, Bill's experiences with uh, what he has done in his, in his life so far. So um, non-financial aspects, anything you wish you'd have known or done differently along the way? Um, so I'll tell this story, which is, so in 2018, I realized at that point that I had two hobbies in life. Uh, one was raising children and the other was being in the Navy. Um, and that uh, I, I looked at my retirement uh, orders and I realized that on June 1st of 2019, I was going to retire from the Navy. And on that same day, my youngest daughter was going to graduate from high school. So I needed a new hobby. And um, uh, so I discovered the joy of bridge. I had a, a friend who uh, I'd, I'd been taught it years ago, uh, uh, and but I'd uh, kind of lost it. But I had a friend who is a bridge instructor at the, the shipyard. I took some classes with him and I... Uh, Done it. And uh, the, from my wife's perspective, uh, it was important that I have a hobby that uh, did not involve her. Um, and uh, that was, and that definitely meets it. My uh, wife's family has a long history of uh, of card games. Uh, unfortunately, their history with card games involves the men losing at poker and uh, putting food on the table in question. Uh, as a result, all the women were taught that uh, card games are inherently evil, and so. Uh, she will never join me in bridge, but is thrilled that I have a hobby. And she also likes the fact that I will occasionally travel to bridge tournaments and she can get travel uh, while I do bridge. So, and, and bridge, I don't know much about it other than I believe it's really technical and involved. Did you know any bridge prior to, to starting with the guy, you know, from the base or. Um, so I knew the basics of it. Um, and I knew I'd like around 2000, my wife and I had done a, a cruise and I'd taken a few classes on the cruise, uh, but I hadn't basically I'd been a decade or close to a decade before I, since I hadn't done anything, maybe longer. Um, and in reality, basically I had to relearn uh, how it is because they had markedly changed the bidding process uh, during that time. Uh, it, what I like best about bridge is that it, it allows me to accomplish two goals in retirement. One is you will never stop learning about bridge because it's like an onion. There's once you learn this layer, there's another layer and another layer uh, underneath. And so it's intellectually stimulating. And at the same time, it's social because you're doing it with people. You're interacting with people the whole time. And I thought those are two important goals that I needed to, to adopt as part of my retirement. And uh, this met both of those. Yeah, that's hugely important. In, in groups like the Facebook group, it's really easy to, to nerd out on technical stuff, which I'm not saying it's not important, but so many people have said, I, I've heard firsthand and have witnessed it firsthand, the non-financial aspects. And that's why I'm asking like specifically financial question, non-financial question, the meaning, the purpose, the fulfillment, the reason to get up and do something every day, the socialization, all that stuff really matters, right? I, it does. And so uh, 
Again, we're moving in the near future, so I've had to uh, curtail. But uh, for the last, uh, since post-COVID, I have been directing a group of about 32 senior citizens uh, once a week as we play bridge out in Kailua, uh, which is a subdivision out on the north side of the island. And uh, and so it's been a, a very rewarding rebuilding a group post-COVID uh, in that we started at three tables. We're now up to like, we've had 10 tables. And so it's, uh, uh, it's a lot, uh, a, a, it's a big group, big growing group. Uh, and at the same time, uh, it's a friendly group, and that's been my uh, that's been really my focus. Uh, its goal is that to have fun. I'm not there's not no one from that group is ever going to win a world championship at Bridge, uh, but they're all going to have fun, and that's what I care about. Yeah, right. I'm going to flip these next two questions after looking over them. It seems like the the ordering sh- logically should be reversed a little bit. Um, you have a significant other, which you do, and clearly you're the one. Oh, I'm assuming you're the one who's the most actively engaged in your planning and finances in the household. What's your views? What's your approach? You know, is is your wife at all involved? Does she have nothing to do with it? Um, what's sort of longer term plans? If you're, God forbid, predecease her, you know, what would happen? Um, so uh, yes, I would. Uh, I do the the majority of the planning and discussions, uh, but at the same time, uh, I try to involve her at least at least once a month. Every other month, we'll have some financial discussion. I'll drag her over. We'll talk about Quicken, see what the the numbers say, uh, make those kind of comparisons. And uh, 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 recently, I had uh, we went through a discussion on uh, philosophy for retirement planning, uh, and the key part on that was when I was nerding out on the early Wade Fow books and some others of that nature. I came up with some really technical, really complicated ways and uh, of of doing retirement planning. And then I was listening to retirement IRA show and I, uh, I decided to adopt a completely different approach of a much more, uh, keep it simple, uh, approach. And so as a result, I, I don't think it's going to be that difficult for my wife to make a transition. I, uh, I've literally created a retirement plan that requires about one decision a year. And, uh, uh, and it's, um, and it's designed to be a decision of yes, no. And so that's, uh, about as simple as I can get. Uh, it's probably not optimum in other ways, but it seems pretty close to uh, it. It works and it's simple. So that's what I was interested in. And that's important. Definitely. Uh, do you use an advisor or if not now, have you ever, and, and what is, or was your feedback experience? So, uh, so I, we do not use a financial advisor. My wife and I explored that, uh, relatively early in our, uh, time in the Navy. Um, my uh, first experience was with a, a former um, Navy person who was in uh, the Orlando area as part of a large national group who discussed uh, lots of the Navy experience and was very friendly and wonderful and uh, explained the beauty of whole life insurance and heavily loaded mutual funds. Um, uh, eventually, we reached the point of, I think he's a friendly person, but this is not for us. Um, subsequently, that particular company uh, ended up with an SEC major thing uh, and uh, numerous lawsuits, all related to the fact that they were uh, taking advantage of uh, junior military people with their whole process. And um, so I was, uh, I'm, I was glad I never went in that route. Uh, but I had a, left a very negative taste in the mouth. Um, another one at our first duty station together, uh, the joys of variable uh uh, annuities came up and that was the focus of him. I uh, didn't go that route. Uh, and the last one who said he was going to do a financial plan. Um, well, really what it boiled down to was him trying to get me to go into loaded funds or 12B1 fees and uh, a, a RET or EIT thing that uh, obviously in retrospect, he was getting some bonus pay to put people in. Sure. Um, so all three of those left me with a very negative uh, taste uh, at the time, Vanguard offered free financial plans to people who were there. Um, that was useful, uh, certainly worth every penny we paid for it. Uh, but uh, uh, and it was, and they don't longer offer that as a free service. And uh, but I've been fairly happy with uh, uh, learning on my own and uh, and focusing on a simple plan and being able to interact in the Facebook group. I think is useful because you can put forth discussions. And get, I'll say, crowdsourcing feedback 
And uh, between the pod, your podcast and your comments, as well as Retirement IRA Show, uh, I feel that there's a lot of uh, good banter and discussion and, uh, and bringing me back in case I had a, a crazy idea that needed to be reined in. Right, right. And thanks for sharing your experience with, I'll call them advisors. I mean, the folks you talked to, I think, really weren't advisors by my definition. Um, that's unfortunately very common. A lot of the industry was and still is, especially the larger places that many people have probably heard of, household name places. It's about production. It's about incentives to sell this versus that. Um, there's targets and goals people have to hit. And not to say people doing that are bad people. Like I'm sure the person in the Navy, I'm sure he's one of the most upstanding people you ever meet. I have no reason to think otherwise. They're just in bad environments, you know, bad structures where you're They're responding to incentives. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. So I'm I'm glad you're able to see through it at least and you know didn't get yourself too wrangled into some some squirrely mess you didn't want to be in. So all right. Uh so now some some technical questions about you uh in, in, in your planning. So if you retired before sixty five, which you did and not yet eligible for Medicare, what do you do for health insurance? Now I suspect the answer may be military comes into play here, but yeah. But my wife and I are both eligible for both TRICARE and VA uh, based on uh, – so we have really two uh, – the VA care is free, and we also have carry TRICARE um, as well, um, slightly more broad and availability. Uh, VA is uh, good when you can make a scheduled appointment and things of that nature. Uh, uh, emergency care is typically better with a TRICARE type of arrangement. Yeah. And not to get too off topic here, but does TRICARE carry through the rest of your life or do you have to switch or can switch to Medicare at 65? So um, so the answer is yes. Um, so there's TRICARE as, it, in, as our current age, we pay a premium associated with TRICARE and that continues through age 65. Okay. At 65, I, we transition to Medicare, but we also have what's called TRICARE for life which serves the function of uh, a uh, one of the supplement plans, except that it's free, right? So it's, it, it works as a Medicare supplement, covers, which really is my parents have been using TRICARE for Life since they turned 65. And uh, basically they've had like one or two medical bills since they turned 65, because as long as you're using regular Medicare, you sub- they, the doctor submits their uh, the bill to Medicare, Medicare pays the part they pay, and then they just automatically send the rest of it off to TRICARE for Life, okay. and we they don't have to pay anything. So uh, uh, so that process works well, uh, and it's actually has reached the point where it's a finely tuned machine. You just have to tell the doctor that you're on, for my parents' case, I'm not yet there, but my parents' case, they say we're on Medicare, they file with Medicare, and then that's all taken care of from there. Basically, it, yeah. Okay. What's your social security strategy for you and your wife? Um, so that's a good question. One of us will apply at 62. Um, uh, the plan nominally was for my wife to do so because we have a very similar earnings history. And uh, so she's 18 months younger. She would start at 62. Um, and then I would uh, start uh, later. Uh, the definition of later depends a bit on the legislative risk as we actually get to that age. Um, if I if my read of Congress is that they're going to be doing something that might result in it being beneficial to start earlier, then I would do that. Um, uh, otherwise, I'd delay. Certainly want to delay until I finish Roth conversions. Um, so that would uh, just to give myself more window and room for Roth conversions. Uh, so uh, my wife at 62 and me when we're done with Roth conversions or later would be my answer. I'm not really ready. There, something's got to happen with Social Security, and I need to see the nature of what happens with it to be uh, able to answer that question more fully. Uh, I think I, I certainly, my wife and I will be a, we'd be subject to legislative risk. So I see that as the one, uh, uh, one thing we have to keep track of. Uh, for, I certainly know what the numbers say. I know how to actuarially determine the right answer. Uh, I just legislative risk is something that you, it's not really number based. You have to play that by ear. Sure. And 
I'll come back to the Roth conversion question in a second. I do want to dig a little on what your reason is for, for doing conversions and why. But uh, being in the military, I assume you both have pensions. Can you just touch on that briefly? And, and does that impact your social security claiming decision versus if you were you know, civilian and did not have pensions, either of you? Um, so it, it does. And in fact, that's kind of the uh, a better way to answer your question would be to explain my retirement income plan. Okay. And then uh, so the foundation for the retirement income plan is uh, my wife and I both have pensions and then well as some VA disability. Uh, and that to steal from another podcast that more than meets our minimum dignity floor. Okay. Um, in, in truth, if one of us passed away, we would we would lose like 45% of their other military pension, but we would still have enough to more than meet the minimum dignity floor. It it gets into some uh, fun travel and or gifting kind of thing. So we're so with that fully covered uh, based on the the combined pension uh, of the two of us. That allowed for a a more interesting approach to uh, retirement planning, uh, and so our approach has been we have uh, about and we'll, when my wife joins me in retirement, we will have about uh, two to three years of cash sitting in a basically a we'll say a money market account might not entirely be that but something some just cash, and the rest of it will be in index equity funds like Vanguard total or whatever, stuff like that. Yep. And so it'll be because that would result in, if I look only at the portfolio being about 95 plus percent uh, equities, which would seem to be thing. But it, if you look broader, it's really 50% pension. Uh, because if you do the net present value, it's like 50% of fixed income from the pension right. and then 50% um, equity. So I, I don't think it's, that crazy a uh, a number because of the unique pension system that set, set up that my wife and I have, and so uh, in theory the uh, the only decision built into the process is we would have our I'm sorry the without a decision all the dividends would just go into the um, money market account essentially okay. and we'll say that's nominally two percent and then if the uh, market is up, we'll sell 3% and add that to the cash fund. And if the market is down, we won't. So therefore, it'll be one year might have 5%, another year would have 5%, and the next year is down, so it's 2%. And my uh, the rough swag works out to about 4% a year. That's not the 4% rule. Very, very different, right? Because uh, uh, it's literally 4% of whatever's in the uh, the portfolio would feed into the into the cash buffer. And the cash buffer really serves uh, to two purposes. One, that's where a gifting and travel will come from. Okay. And it also serves by being that three-year buffer that I don't really care if the market was down for one or two years because I got this buffer to insulate me from the market variability. Right. That's a great point. And, and I'm glad you brought that up for people listening that may hear you're retired. How can you possibly be okay with a 95% stock allocation or you know whatever your number is? And what people have to realize, and when you read these stories, like the rules of thumb that you should have X amount saved or you need this much stock percentage by the time you're whatever age, just throw it out. In your case, you have sizable pensions. You'll have social security. You said those things, pensions alone, right? More than cover. Pensions alone, would be, yes. So yeah. social security is just icing Great. on the top. Yeah. So with that said, if your stock portfolio were to drop 60%, let's just say, just to pick up a you know horrible number, you're still okay financially, right? Objectively. Emotionally, maybe a different story. It sounds like your wife might lose some sleep over it. And that's an issue that needs to be factored into your, you know, your analysis and stuff. But um, you're an example where you can be ultra, ultra aggressive with the investable assets you do have because you have such large guaranteed income or vice versa. This is where it gets hard to pick a right allocation. You don't need your money to grow to finance your future. So you could let it be ultra, ultra conservative, just park it all in cash at one extreme, right? Either one of those extremes could be okay for you or anywhere in the middle, which makes it complicated. So people really need to tune out like the dogmatic rules of thumb without knowing each person's specific risk views, guaranteed income, expenses, et cetera. It's impossible to start to come up with what's the right amount of riskiness for for you. So. Yeah, the, the plan I've described works great for us, 
but it would not work for the average person because they don't have the foundational right. tensions that, that my wife and I do. Right. That's that's a, a critical piece. And that's why I think to, to steal from Cody, uh, in our case, personal finance is very personal. Yes, it is. 100% is. All right. So Roth conversions, let's come back to that. You said part of the reason for delaying social security is to do, you know, get Roth conversions uh, done in the interim, uh, you know, spill. What's, what's your view on conversions? What are you doing them and why? What's your, what's your end game? With them? So uh, the key piece that I stolen from the retirement and IRA show is that from a couple perspective, I don't, I, we're going to be at the top of the 24% or be in the 24% tax bracket ad nauseum. Yeah. Um, and so I, the Roth conversions will not really help uh, us as a couple. Um, uh, but there are several reasons why it would be helpful because if one of us passes, the other one is the one that's left behind is no longer in the 24% tax bracket. They will instantly jump up to the, 32 or higher percentage. Um, and so the tax, so the Roth conversions would support the, the widow. Um, as I alluded to, both daughters are also, uh, while currently not being paid very well, they're both in professions that will be paid very well um, in the foreseeable future. And so giving them large traditional holdings while, during their peak earning years uh, just seems like a waste from a tax planning perspective. Right. Uh, so there's many, many advantages not related to the couple that support us doing Roth conversions. Um, and so when my wife joins me in retirement and we move to Tennessee, which um, interestingly enough has no state income tax, um, at that point in time, after we're settled in uh, Tennessee residence, we will do uh, Roth conversions. However, we're not certainly not going to convert everything. I specifically have a like 300 to 500 K or something like that, which we want to leave in traditional, um, and that it will be our long-term care self-funding pool, um, and also that uh, that size is not going to the RMDs from that is not going to boost either of us or even just one of us up into another uh, tax bracket. So that uh, that's so it it's sufficiently getting it down that the RMDs are not going to impact us. Uh, at the same time, it keeps it available for long-term care self-funding. I think that the biggest concern for long-term care self-funding in our case, based on our pensions, is the first one who goes into long-term care while the other one is still at home. That's the that's the time when I would expect to, to need or want to use that money uh, to fund it if necessary. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And we already talked about your plans or potential plans to, to move, relocate, et cetera. But the, the house, or do you have a house? I guess is a question. Do you own, do you rent now? So we currently own, um, my plan, which, which was successfully executed was to get the mortgage paid off about 18 months before uh, my retirement. Okay. And, um, uh, a little prepayments during that time allowed that to happen. And then the last 18 months, I continue to pay myself uh, the mortgage and to uh, begin to build up that cash buffer that I alluded to. Again, recognize at that time I started that uh, I was expecting my wife was going to join me in retirement. Then um, that hasn't worked out to be the case, but uh, that was uh, that was a plan, uh, and uh, I like that plan, even though uh, it became turns out to have been a little uh, premature based on uh, uh, her rejoining the retirement date. Uh, but nevertheless, that that worked, uh, and it also meant that there was. Very nice cash flow once I retired and stuff of that nature. So it's been uh, it's been low stress. Um, in fact, during COVID, when none of us were traveling, it was we were investing basically my wife's salary at that point. Um, uh, now that I'm free to travel more, that's not quite that <laughs> successful. But right. nevertheless, it's been yeah. good. Good. We already chatted about investment allocations, distribution strategies, et cetera. So thanks for covering those. Um, next, uh, this is, so, I'm sorry to go to, I'm sorry to more fully when we live in DC, we're going to rent, uh, because right. it's a two to three year period. So we're just going to rent. Um, and we're also going to take advantage of this time to do uh downsizing. Um, and specifically cause we're currently in a 2,400 square foot house and we're going to try and go to a 1200 square foot condo or apartment kind of thing, right. uh, and live there 
with the goal of uh, my wife being able to close enough to walk to work. And I would try to go down to one car uh, for that time frame. So try to uh, Washington DC has the uh, uh, metro system and such that uh, if we think, and if she hears walking to work thing, in fact, uh, our goal would be for me to walk with her to work and um, uh, see her off at work. And then I go to the gym, but um, that's. Uh, <laughs> and, and longer term. So beyond Washington, perhaps we Nashville. will buy once we get to Nashville. Okay. And even then you said to be determined where you, you may not necessarily stay there. It depends where the kids end up. Right. Yeah. That, it, it, uh, the, the younger daughter has discussed um, her plan uh, for post-law school is to go work for big law for like five years and get some money and such. And then, uh, and then at that point, she's going to evaluate whether she likes big law or not. And if uh, she does great, and if she doesn't, then she'll look for a mid-sized town and, uh, uh, and get a law, join a law firm in that uh, environment. And currently, Van, uh, the, the Nashville area is very high in her list. So that would in- support us staying there. Uh, but there's a lot of variables between now and then, and I, uh, uh, too many to, to be certain about anything. So we got a flow chart. It's got lots of paths and, uh, we're, we talk about the options and, uh, not long enough, not, to execute things, although we, you know, we have a realtor in Nashville who we visited several times and had her walk us around and look at condos. So we, we, uh, when, in fact, when the fall when we were there, we stayed at two different hotels because we wanted to experience the walkability of two different neighborhoods sure. and uh, by actually being there. Um, and so that was, uh, I think, we both found that very uh, eye-opening because there was one neighborhood that we expected to really like that was not as uh, enticing as we wanted. And another one, which my wife did not expect to like that she now loves. So uh, it was, it was an absolutely huge payoffs on that particular visit. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad you learned a lot from it. All right. This final block of questions here is for people who are already retired. Those who aren't yet, I guess, can't quite have uh, meaningful responses to these, but since you are retired, let's Let's do it. How did you find the emotional transition of going from saving assets to, I mean, normally I'd say decumulating spending assets, but it sounds like in your case, you're not actually. Yeah. We, we down, are, right? yeah. yeah. I'm retired, but I would not say we're in the decumulation stage yet. Um, decumulation stage planning and preparation, but we aren't, uh, aren't really there. Uh, I, uh, I really think that though, that we've, we've probably oversaved. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not, terribly concerned about the about that aspect i have a bigger challenge of trying to to spend yeah probably be our bigger challenge so you as a couple i guess you're not fully retired yet so some of these might not really fit well these questions but what i like to ask folks is what expenses did you that that are higher than you thought they'd be in retirement and vice versa what what end up what's actually less than, than you thought they'd be um uh, i really don't know nothing at the higher expenses haven't really impacted lifestyle or anything of that nature. So I, I really don't, uh, I see a significant change, you know, the cost of moving as I've looked at that. And although then I realized the, uh, with my wife now getting this job, the government will pay for the move and, uh, realizing how much of that is going to save, uh, was a, was a nice blessing, but it's, uh, it was looking at it before that came along. I was looking like a fairly bleak, uh, expense. Especially uh, coming from Hawaii uh, across you know, to the East Coast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Uh, it was I was not looking forward to that. Um, but what expenses are less, and that's uh, college would be the answer on that. Uh, that my daughter's college expenses was dramatically less than I had expected. Uh, in large part, uh, that has been. Uh, because of my daughters and then also in large part due to post 9-11, a GI bill, which is uh, unique to those who served in the military. Um, my, and they've done it differently. Uh, my older daughter selected an expensive private college in the Midwest. Uh, but that particular college, when she made that decision, she knew that their participation in post 9-11 GI bill and the associated yellow ribbon program was such that that expensive private college was free. Okay. And that included to the housing costs were also free. Um, and so consequently, she 
narrowed her list of colleges down to only those that were going to be free and chose from that. Um, and her specific question, which uh, I still love to this day, was, hey, if I choose a college that's free, does the money in the 529, can I use that to pay for med school? And I'm like, absolutely, dear. You absolutely can. And so post-9-11 GI Bill covered her undergrad and essentially covered the first year of med school. Uh, that allowed the 529 money to largely cover the rest of her med school. So she graduated debt-free from med school right. because, A, she chose a school that was meshed, meshed well with post-9-11 GI Bill. Post-9-11 GI Bill helped. But also because for med school, she lived at home. And so her housing expenses you know, got zeroed out and she was able to, the first semester, which was covered by the, the remainder of the post-11 GI Bill, she was getting a housing allowance, but just banking it to pay for the next semester of, uh, of med school. And so that uh, her decisions and her thoughtful integration of the benefit uh, allowed her to do that. And that meant that only the money that we'd saved in the 529, which uh, was sufficient. And then my younger daughter took a different approach, which was she chose a mid-priced uh, private college in the Midwest as well. Uh, but she, as a result of that choice, she got a 60% scholarship from the college, and she got several additional group scholarships. Um, and so she used some of her 529 to pay for undergrad, but now she's at the University of Chicago uh, School of Law, which is which is not cheap, right. uh, but it's free to her because now she's using my post-911 GI Bill to pay for that because my wife's post-911 GI Bill paid for my older daughter and mine is paying for the younger daughter. Uh, I, I don't so, know that they can be ported over to children. Uh, so the answer is it depends, uh, <laughs> which I find is the the correct answer to almost every question. It is. If, uh, if you join the military and you get out after one or even maybe uh, two tours, uh, there it's for you, but only you. Um, if you stay past either, you pay past like six to 10 years and then you agree to sign up for four more, uh, or then you can now transfer it to your spouse or kids. Um, and so from the Navy's or the military perspective, if they get you to sign up for that additional, you're going to stay till retirement, right? So there's a, there's a payoff from their perspective. But so if you join the military and you uh, retire from there, you, you can have, you know, one, at least one child's post, uh, college paid for. Um, in fact, I had, um, a dirt while I was in the military, I'd had uh, lunch on a number of occasions with a, a friend named Mac. And, uh, I discussed the concept of transferring post 11 GI Bill to him. Uh, and uh, eventually beat it into his head that he should transfer it to his daughter. And um, lo and behold, uh, last year, which was like about a decade later, he and his wife came to Hawaii and said, we're taking you to supper at a fancy restaurant. I said, why? Because we finally realized how much money we're saving because of your talking to me. And uh, it was, he said it was life-changing. My daughter was so just eyes open, everything, all because of that transfer a post on other GI bill uh, thing. So that's great. That's incredibly helpful. Uh, what did you think would be more difficult or challenging about retirement than it actually is? Um, so I was certainly concerned about trying to create a, like a new friend network kind of safe. We still live here. So got some of that. Um, uh, but in my case, getting involved in the bridge group, uh, opened up uh, a dozen, 20 more, uh, social interactions from that, uh, I, I get to try that again when we go to D.C. Uh, we have a number of uh, friends from either college or the military who live in D.C., so I'll have a starting ground, but uh, I'll get to try and involve myself in that local bridge group or whatever other uh, uh, social activities I can find uh, in there. Okay. Um, my wife's already sort of sneaking that out. She's joined Facebook groups for uh, for the Nashville area, as an example, uh, uh, trying to find out uh, what places uh, they like to eat and other things of that nature as uh, sure. trying her laying groundwork. Good. It makes sense. Why not? Right. Go as prepared as you can be. What was the worst or most inaccurate advice you were given about retirement? Hmm. 
So, so what I l- found most frustrating has been the number of people who have described you have to do it this way, mm-hmm. and uh, have and you, you they need to fit you into their mold for retirement planning, uh, and I I dislike that I, I I reject that idea. I think that there are various different possible answers that are all good. There's not a one right answer. The uh, uh, as I mentioned before, my favorite answer to almost every single question is it depends. Uh, because there's it, there's nuances and there's factors to consider that are unique to every person and every situation. And uh, so uh, a particular radio announcer who's got his certain number of steps on solving all financial problems, um, that, that may in fact work for many people, but it doesn't work for everyone. Right. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. Uh, it just means they're different. Yep. Well said. I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, what were the most surprising financial and non-financial things about retiring? Um, I guess the most surprising non-financial might be related to that, which is um, how hard it's getting, how hard it's been to get my wife to join me in retirement. <laughs> that would be the hardest uh, non-financial. Um, this, um, I like how scalable some hobbies are, though, from a financial. Like uh, you can play bridge and not spend hardly any money. You can play bridge and go to large numbers of tournaments scattered around the country and spend lots of money and do lots of traveling. And it's a very scalable activity. And there's true probably for other things. I have friends who've gotten addicted to this thing called pickleball. And uh, I, I, I follow them and I, I see them going to tournaments around the East Coast and other stuff of that nature. It's it's very similar in that regard. It's scalable. You can play pickleball in your local neighborhood, right. or you can go to tournaments. It's up to you. It, so you get to choose what level that you want to to delve into your hobbies. Uh, to some degree, you have to learn to say no to various requests. I would suspect. Um, but on the other hand, if if it's the hobby that you've decided to focus on, uh, I would commend you to or recommend that you try and say yes to some of that. So I. I think that as a vice president of the local bridge group here, I had some positive influence and uh, and helped accomplish some things. Uh, and I probably useful activity for other people. That so, but it's scalable. That's my point: is that you can decide what level works for you, and uh, the answer might be one level for one activity and a different level for another one. Right. Some people may play pickleball once a week, once every other week. Some play daily, and to your point, travel. Who knows where to, to be involved in pickleball activities. So good. All right. Final question. If you can give only one piece of advice or guidance to others about retirement planning, what would it be? Have a simple, straightforward plan, which can be summarized as you have to have a plan. Starts but you want to have a simple, straightforward plan and not something overly robust and overly complicated, rather, uh, would be uh, what you'd want to uh, avoid. Yeah. Which is great advice and hard for some to do. They're, they're wired to be super quantitative and want to solve things to the nth degree and so much about retirement planning, especially the financial aspects of things um, can't be solved for, or there's multiple ways it can be solved for, like you said before, about approaches towards income planning or whatever. So very well said. I mean, there's, there's tactical aspects for the planning, but the strategic plan needs to be simple and straightforward. Yeah. And something you can actually execute, right? If it's so unwieldy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. We, uh, ha- yeah. In the Navy, we'd use the phrase, how do you operationalize that? You have to take the good idea theory and convert it into something that you can actually execute. Right. Because otherwise it's not going to matter. Yep. All right. Very helpful. This was, uh, this was great. Any, any final words of wisdom here, Bill? Um, I, uh, I love your show. I love your interaction and I love the Facebook group. And, uh, I, uh, been very happy with the uh, with the interactions there uh, with various people. I also particularly like how you have been you and your team have been rigorous in keeping uh, people sales team off of it. I I did in fact have a couple people early on who approached me about uh, the joys of fixed index annuity, and that was their first conversation with me. And uh, within uh, within 24 hours, those people were banned from your group. Um, so I, uh, I commend the awesome team that is the uh, retirement education team. 
They're great. It is like whack-a-mole trying to knock down salespeople, spammers, fake profiles, you know, crypto traders, whatever. But uh, it's worth it. It's well worth the work. So much thanks to everyone uh, who's involved in the group, either as a participant who flags and raises inappropriate posts for us to see, because there's no way we can see them on our own otherwise. And thanks to all the moderators for, for putting all the time. So, well, awesome, Bill. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to do this. It was very helpful and um, I had fun chatting with you. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Alrighty, take care. All right, that was it, man. What a, what a great episode. Bill's a great guy. I'm I'm thankful for him sharing everything he shared. I learned some some good nuggets of wisdom there, and hopefully you all did as well. For example, like the GI Bill, I was aware it existed, but I didn't know the specifics around it. So if you are in the military, uh, you could potentially get get benefits for your children under it. Bill did explain afterward, uh, you know, after we wrapped up the session, that um, unless you stay a certain amount of years in the service, etc. It's not eligible to be transferred to spouses or kids, but if you're there long enough, and I forget the cutoff, you, you can transfer your unused GI Bill benefits to spouses or kids. So definitely something to consider. Or even if you're listening and you have a child or grandchild considering going into the military, uh, if you are not aware of benefits such as a GI Bill, it is something to bring up with, with him or her because it's a, a really potentially super valuable uh, thing that, that they offer. So something to keep in mind. Anyway. That's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode of me chatting with a real person, Bill Stevenson. As always, if you uh, like this podcast, it'd be greatly appreciated if you would take a quick moment to, to leave a review on Apple iTunes or wherever else you listen to this podcast and check out the Facebook group, Retirement Planning Education, if you haven't already, as well as the YouTube channel by the same name, Retirement Planning Education, and my firm, my uh, business's monthly e-newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all those things in the notes of this episode. That's that. Thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.